Smackdown review, a very special pay-per-view extravaganza edition as we look at one of the best pay-per-views of the WWF in the year 2000 and considering how good the WWF was in the year 2000 that is indeed saying something this is Backlash 2000 I am your regular host Scott McLeod and usually these pay-per-view shows are a bit different because we have a a third perspective uh, to add uh, to the show because we have a guest on and it's good that we have a new perspective because one of the usual perspectives we have uh, from our own Samuel Preston is uh, in-depth analysis on every little segment. Uh, we'll be absent today because Sam was feeling a little under the weather, so he will not be here today. I'm sure it's some sort of physical reaction from our last pod he and I did where I made him talk about current WWE for all of 20 minutes. He's had some sort of reaction. He's not come out of the bathroom since, I don't think so. We'll miss him and we'll have him back to talk all sorts of nonsense about Steve Blackman uh, next time. But joining me, a man who made sure I never forgot how he felt about the last pay-per-view show that I had him on, and so I had to make sure I, I made it up to him in some way as the one and only. I, the other half of Team Godfather, Carl Pierce. Hello. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into this one. This is actually a good pay-per-view at last. So... Uh... I'm here. I'm ready to go. Uh, I love that enthusiasm. Although we were talking, the major drawback to the show is, of course, no Godfather to be found on this show. He was, as we said, he was good enough to open WrestleMania, but not good enough to be on Backlash. Uh, but the team that beat he and D'Lo Brown, uh, Godfather and Buchanan, uh, the boss man and Bill Buchanan, they're definitely on the show, but no Godfather to be found. But, you know, you can't have everything you want. <laughs> no, it's an absolute travesty that the Godfather isn't on backlash. But there you go. As you said, you can't have everything. And yeah, it was quite nice to rewatch it without the sudden adverts. Like I had to put up with back in the day when I watched it on Channel Four. Yeah, because you talked about uh, when we were like setting this up that you had like very fond memories of these shows how you well you kind of remembered certain aspects of it like the main event and all that and also this would have been during the Channel 4 era of the WWF and GR does mention Channel 4 during the show and he mentions all different countries and that watching the show so for you 
would you say that was the year 2000 Channel 4 and everything? Would this be a kind of a peak time for you as a as a young wrestling fan? Yeah, definitely. Um, everything from from around 97 to 2001 was pretty much top draws, pretty much top draw wrestling. And yeah, 2000, you got into some. Pretty decent wrestling as well as the storylines, probably because I think it was around this time Vince Russo had left uh, WCW, so matches were starting to get a bit more time than the allocated two minutes with big smart finishes all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a definite upkeep in the WF in terms of quality since uh, he left towards the end of '99. Uh, honestly, I wasn't watching this at the the time. I would have gone interesting a bit later, but I have seen quite a bit of this show, you know, in, in bits and pieces. So and I knew of what the card was going to be before we we got into it for the review. I'm looking forward to talking about it in depth. I had a really good time watching it. So I'll break it down here. The uh, Backlash 2000 took place on April 30th, 2000, from the MCI Center in Washington DC, or though the, but now nowadays it's now called the Capital One Arena. There were 19,101 people in attendance for this pay-per-view, and the pay-per-view garnered 650,000 buys. And this is, for what you describe as a B-show, now this is the post-WrestleMania show, and that's a hell of a buy rate. Like, you'd love for that nowadays. Yeah, I was going to say that. Even back then, for a B-plus pay-per-view, that was a massive buy rate. And I think it's all to do with everyone's expectations on what was going to transpire in the main event, which we'll get to in due course. And I will have to apologise to listeners. I'm afraid I won't be quite as in-depth and as analysing as much as um, Samuel Preston. So... um, (laughs) You know, instead of your normal half an hour per match, uh, <laughs> we, we're probably looking at about five to ten minutes, I'm afraid. <laughs> but we will survive and we'll trundle on either way. But I wanted to also look at the quality of this compared to WCW because while this is a banner year for the WWF, it's often seen as one of the worst years for WCW. And a lot of that is put on Vince Russo. So I thought a week or so before this, we had WCW Spring Stampede. This is also the pay-per-view where they were going into all the titles were vacated and they did the whole reboot New Blood Millionaire's Club story and all these new champions were crowned at end. That pay-per-view ended with uh, DDP's wife turning on him to help Jeff Jarrett win the world title. That pay-per-view had 12,556 people in attendance and garnered 100,000 buys. So, Christ. Yeah, sixth of what the WWF get here. And what what's even sadder, as I think from my quick research, this is the highest buy rate WCW gets in the year 2000. Higher than Starcade uh, in December. Like, and in December, WWF have Armageddon, which has that big Hell in a Cell match, but still Armageddon compared to WCW's WrestleMania. Starcade gets absolutely trounced in December. And so, yeah, this is the peak in terms of baby buys. And I think even that was just the. Some people had, uh, you know, maybe a morbid curiosity in what was going to happen after they vacated all the belts. Yeah, it was a strange. It was a strange time for WCW, and I, I know it wasn't the sole problem with them. But I've always had to agree with sort of Steve Austin and Vince McMahon that Jeff Jarrett 
it was never really um, world championship caliber in, in my book. I don't know if you would agree with that, Scott. You know, a, an, an upper mid card and maybe some, you know, a B show challenger at best, but he's not someone I'd think to put the main mm-hmm. title on personally. Yeah, and it's you know it's weird that you know his main runs as world champion are either when his pal is in the booking position or he founds his own company. It's, just, <laughs> it's funny how that works bit out. Of a, bit of a coincidence. Yeah, surely. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't think he's as good as he thinks he is. And for a long time, I didn't. I just brought off Jeff Jarrett. Although I think he's better than some people give it credit for. So you got to find that middle ground with Jeff Jarrett sometimes. Because he, he was capable of good stuff. Like when he was in the WF, he was in a, often in the IC tails, which was a perfect position for him. But I don't think he saw oh, that yeah. as his ceiling. I think he often, as many wrestlers probably do, think they're capable of even more than they were. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sort of suggesting he was a terrible wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. As you say, a good sort of US champion, intercontinental title holder, as I say, upper, upper mid carder, but not. Not world champion for for me anyway. Yeah, the Dolph Ziggler, I think of his day. He was often good to come in as a challenger for the title, but you never really expect to see him actually win the title. <laughs> but this is also this isn't the Jeff Jarrett show. This is about backlash and something that a lot of people of this era, like watching the wrestling, watching the WWF, will remember is ever present here. I don't think it was featured uh, the year before, 99, when that was the first ever backlash. So I think this might be the debut of it. But the classic swing hooks uh, that always come as part of the set and the graphics for backlash. I've no idea what a massive metal hook has to do with a backlash. But, you know, they were there. It was part of the aesthetic. And this is an era that, you know, again, fans kind of clamor for, where these unique different sets that make each show have its own identity. And, I remember back in 2016, there were quite a few people disappointed that they didn't bring these six back. Yeah, I love the hooks, and it's one thing, one of the first things I wrote in my notes, um, the unique set. And look, I mean, they have more money nowadays, and they travelled around just as much as um, they do now back then, probably even more of a, when you take into account the pandemic situation and everything. So, you know, they were quite happy to do these unique sets back then, but nowadays, you know, they just kind of be effed with them, can they? <laughs> no, everything's got to look, you know, the same uh, for the most part, except when you maybe get to, like, WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, something like that. And it's a shame... And another thing I enjoyed from back in those days, which you don't always see nowadays, is the little sort of trailer promo before the pay-per-view starts. It usually just gives you an insight into the the sort of main event. I think it has like a bit of a a black and white vibe and covering how Triple H and The Rock um, have got to this main event thing. I don't think this one had a voiceover, but you, but usually they'd have like a a cool voiceover, maybe Freddie Blassie or one of those sort of um, cool sounding voiceover man. Luke Triple H, The Rock, <laughs> destined to destroy you. You know, so, something like that. And it would 
you know, it would build <laughs> it would build the main event right before the pay per view started, and they were they were always a fun little segment. Like, was it Judgment Day of Vengeance, which had which had that cool song, "The End Is Near"? They'd they'd do stuff like that, and you just you just don't yeah. get you just don't get that anymore, do you? And it's something that I really, so in my age, it's something I I really miss as a long time fan. Yeah, I think that was uh, actually Armageddon that he would use that for, and. I think it kind of fitted given the, the name of the show. So, yeah, you know, the main event, you'd think, obviously in this year where you're trying to increase the preview values as much as possible, the main event is your main hook. You, you think that's what everybody's staying around to, to watch, what they're parting with their money for. So, yeah, of course, it makes sense that the, the opening video package would be focused on the main event. I think that would be a stable kind of 2000, because I think 98, 99 is where you more saw the, uh, the classic, you know, Freddie Blassie-like intros. Uh, I think even from what I can tell, like starting in like '99, like end of '99, like Armageddon shows like that, you got these ones that focus on the the end match, and you know, like in this one, you got like the, the black and whites I've made a note of, and it gives you the key points you really need to know. It's The Rock, and he's going after Triple H, but he's got Vince and Shane and all these people, and he's always outnumbered. But then here's Austin, he's going to be here. What, what's that going to do? How's he going to play a factor in the show? And you got to think, given that. He was announced, I think, a week and a half before this show, and he made an appearance on the Go Home SmackDown, which is still to this day the highest rated SmackDown of all time. I uh, think also the intrigue around Austin uh, had to do with the, you know, probably had a last minute help surge in the buy numbers. And yeah, like I like these kind of promos uh, with the uh, weird, like, explode explosions when the guy does a simple punch, it shows you from three different angles, all with a weird explosion. That's something of this year that I always fun to remember. But I do like how they do this because they did it like back at the Rumble. I always remember that one with uh, Foley and Cactus Jack. They're talking up each other and then start talking up themselves about how dangerous they are. So, like you said, it is a kind of a mini trailer for the main event. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I say they, they just don't do it these days or not in the same sort of way. And I always, maybe because the internet's more prevalent and perhaps we don't think they need to recap these things as much or they just kind of be asked these days who knows i mean the strange mind in uh of vince mcmahon seems to change his mind at a whim doesn't he um but yeah. but yeah you know it's all it was all cool stuff all part of the the feel of um wwf Back in uh, back in the day, and yes, I am going to keep saying WWF because that's what it was called back in 2000. We wouldn't be WWE for uh, another three years, yes, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, accurate for the year to call WWF. Uh, so I don't think anyone could begrudge you for that. And so we also we go into the show, and we've got obviously fans and mountains aside. I'm surprised anybody saw anything. I've often joked. The reason so many people look back and see her fondly is they only saw parts of it because if they went to shows live, you couldn't see anything with some if somebody had a sign in front of you. So yeah, you really couldn't. I mean, I remember going to the two uh, shows I went to uh, way way back in the day, and yeah, someone held up a sign, you couldn't see at all. So it's amazing <laughs> that so many people brought signs, and uh, you know, anyone saw anything at all to be honest back in them days. Yeah. Uh, we have also the classic uh, team as well as we JR and the King for your pay-per-views. And then it's funny we were talking about just Jeff Jarrett because the music that was often used by Jeff Jarrett starts playing and there's kind of a mixed pop and then out comes 
Debra, who's made her first appearance since, but I think she may have been in that Rumble swimsuit thing, but I can't remember last time we've seen her. I can't say I missed her, to be honest with you. Uh, and she's announced as the guest ring announcer for this evening. Uh, no real explanation is given, but I think you can kind of guess that, you know, she's, I think by this point, married to Stone Cold, and she was on the show because of Stone Cold. And she's announced as a ring announcer for the opening match, which is the WWF tag team titles of the DX uh, duo Xbox and Road Dog, accompanied by Tori, coming out to their WWF Regression Run, Run DMC theme song. Uh, I love that. I, I missed that so much. That was a flipping banger of an entrance <laughs> tune that run DMC DX one. And it's really hard to find nowadays as well. I've been I've been trying to track it down, but uh yeah, it it doesn't seem to be in existence. I mean, write write to me for postcard uh, if you find, if you know how to get and download um Kings of Rock. DX theme because it's flipping awesome. <laughs> and I also, oh, go on. Sorry, Scott. I was going to say, I was actually going to ask if you'd listened to any of WF Regression or if you remembered this song because I was going to joke, yes, when I think of Carl, I think of someone who's dead into Rum DNC, you know, back in the days of the 2000 when Carl was cool, hip and happening and all that. <laughs> well, I don't think I was ever cool, but I was certainly, I was certainly young and listening to Run TMC back in 2000, yeah. Um, quite a bit key for WWE to get some of those, and I did have the Ruthless Aggression CD, but I seem to have lost it over time, which is which is annoying. Yeah. Uh, there's really a handful of songs that really stand out from that album. Uh, I mentioned I quite like The Rocks, theme, something a lot of other people do, uh, Method Man, and I always forget the, the guys that did it, but I think Snoop Dogg is involved in this song, but the, the song for Kane on that album, I don't just say it as a Kane fan. Uh, the song Big Red Machine about Kane, absolute fucking anthem. But there we go. Uh, just... uh, there was also The Rock, uh, a sort of rock version as well where you have the fingers 11 version of kane's theme mm-hmm. which really is a banger and the chris mm-hmm. benoit one was really good as well and the lita one that was really that was a really good tune as well the, the, um, the lita sort of wrapped up uh thing but before uh, i got sidetracked i just wanted to mention on deborah uh her ring announcing skills were truly abysmal Anthony Chemmel <laughs> and Howard Finkel, she is not. I know. Howard, Howard Finkel is rolling in his grave and he's not even dead in 2000. <laughs> I mean, and does she hate Christian or something? Because the way, yes. Edge and Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was waiting to mention, yeah, I just put, she loses enthusiasm during Christian's introduction. You're like, <laughs> the tag team champions, you know, because she's not got the, the most. No gravitas will say in her voice. She sounds like she's doesn't really care about anything. You know, to put it lightly. There, there are porn porn movies with better acting than Deborah. Uh she goes, The World Wrestling Federation, Tag Team Champions, Edge and Christian and Christian's here. If you could sum up how the how the WF and Vince McMahon felt about Christian, it was all in that introduction right there. It, it was. And she even does it in the same way uh, when she announced spoiler alert. When she announces them as the winners of the match as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, she definitely needs some working. I've got a, a friend who's actually a ring announcer, and he would 
he would probably lose his shit over this. Uh, so yeah, obviously, Debra's there, the ring announcer, doesn't really mean anything other than they wonder what the hell her issue is with Christian. And so, like, Edge and Christian, uh, it's weird because on TV, you know, Edge and Christian have been baby faces for the most part. They did tease their heel turn uh, after WrestleMania winning the tag team uh, triangle ladder match, you know, kind of poking fun at the Hardys and Dudleys for being second best. And then they went back to being faces. And then they kind of displayed more heel tactics uh, before this, like, on the go home raw. Because on the go home raw, they had, like, them attack. Uh, Edge like speared Tory and then Road Dog was getting revenge on Mansmatter and they were making it as if to say like, oh I've never seen this aggression from Road Dog and making it as if Road Dog and that was the face. Then you actually if you actually watch the match without any knowledge of the build, you'd think Edge and Christian were the faces by how the match structured. Yeah, it was really weird. Um it it felt like heel versus heel and I would say that Edge and Christian were working more babyface than DX because DX were definitely heels at, at this point but but yeah they were they were both using sort of underhanded tactics at times especially for the finish so yeah it was it was quite a strange um strange match in that dynamic in that sense but it's a it's a really good opener and wisely um they kept Road Dog on the apron for a good portion of the match because he's pretty rubbish in the ring. But X, but X Park trading moves with both Edge and Christian was um, really good stuff, and he seemed to have, he seemed to be getting his X Pack heat here. He, he it was quite some resounding booze for him. I noticed. Oh yeah, we're fully, I think, in the uh, beginnings of X Pack. I think it was starting to happen during his feud with Kane. Because he, he had no quarrels about hitting Tory, and then all of a sudden he was aligned with Tory, and I think that just made things worse for X Pac. I think, especially given that DX is pretty much you know in its last few months. But even after, I think a big issue that was thrown X Pac from fans at the time is that either whether he was in DX or not, he was just the same guy and never really changed, which people kind of hated. Uh, so yeah, X Pac, no matter what he does going forward, he's going to have these X Pac sucks chance and not falling him around. Uh, yeah, it does start off with Edge and X-Pac, you know, in a kind of fast-paced, you know, crisscross kind of sequence. Edge does a, what they say is an X-Pac move, because apparently X-Pac owns the spin kick. Uh, Edge hits the, the spin kick. Christian's the one that gets isolated when uh, Rodor kind of pulls him off X-Pac when he's doing, like, those punches in the corner and, like, hangs him across the rope. And this is why I'm looking forward to uh, the inevitable heel turn, because I've had months of this, of, like, face Edge and Christian, their matches always go the same way. If Christian's the one getting isolated, hot tag to Edge, which again is basically showing the WS attitude to this team. Edge, he's great. He's he's beautiful with long blonde hair and Christian is also there. So Christian's <laughs> always the one getting worked over. And so it also gets a bit repetitive at times. Uh obviously they use the ref the like advantage their advantage, you know, get getting cheap sort of thing but you've got Tory there who's wearing this weird like DX kind of green barcode shirt and uh Jerry Law said they like to scan her barcodes and as if that's maybe some sort of weird innuendo, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I mean, that's King for you. I mean, he was like uh, a 15 year old boy seeing boobs for the first time when Deborah came back out. Woohoo! Puppies! Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> I can say, but back, back then, it, it seems like reasonably normal, but watching it retrospective like 21 years later, you can sort of see how problematic. It is the way he used to sort of 
react and bellow puppies at the top of his voice. It's I find it quite quite annoying and cringe nowadays. Yeah, I mean you think that's bad fucking what he has to be helped out of his chair when uh, during a, during a, during the end of the European title match. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> but he takes full advantage of Christian. He gets sit into the steps. Uh, Edge does a glass. You know he tags in. The ref wasn't looking, so he said, "No, it doesn't count." And turns out, which allows the other babyface to get kind of babyface to get worked over. And I hope you like that spot because there's three tag matches on this show, and that spot gets repeated in all three of them. Yeah, I've, I've got that in my notes as well. I mean, uh, the referees are. Very rubbish in 2000 at noticing tags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually uh, Christian manages to get out of like, danger when uh, they go like, for a double back suplex, but he turns into a double reverse DET. In comes Edge, you know, to get the hot tag. Uh, it, Christian goes to the unprettier onto Road Dog, like, shoved into a spin kick from Xbox. Uh, Road Dog gets speared, and it leads into a big, like, kind of small, as they say, with Tori kind of getting involved. and accidentally knocked off the apron. The referee goes to the outside to deal with what's going on there. And it's weird here because now this is where we forget who the hell is legal because I'm pretty sure Edge didn't tag back out after he came in. He hits the, gets hit with the X-Factor by X-Pop and then Christian comes in, hits X-Pop with the ring bell. The X-Pop, by the way, I, just, I looked up, is 28 here. He's 28 and he, he looks much older than he, he should be. You know, rough paper around for X-Pac, as they say. Probably all the partying and drugs he was doing <laughs> back in back in those days. Just to think, I mean, these are the, the um, Edge and Christian, of two out of, um, I think, four competitors we've seen this pay-per-view that are still wrestling 21 years later. I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I can barely get up my stairs 21 years later, let alone <laughs> wrestle. <laughs> I know, it's unbelievable. Uh, so then Christian goes and hits Expo with the, the, bit, the ring bell, and you see after the Expo gets a big uh, cut over his, uh, his, his forehead. I don't know if that was planned or if it was kind of an accident when he got hit with the bell. So it does leave, <laughs> a, very, it does leave a dirty stain on the mat mm. there for the entire night. They did. They did have a habit of playing in a lot more back in two thousand. Bloodletting was quite prevalent until um, they sort of eased that of it into the in, into the PG area. Probably around the two thousand five sort of mark, they started uh, toning down the the bloodletting. So it's quite standard fare back in back in two thousand. Yeah. So, Christian's the one that hits him with the bell, but I think it's him that then pins Xbox, even though I don't think he's meant to be illegal. For every count, anyway, Edge and Christian retain the tag team titles. And I think we'll then begin, uh, I think, by judging what he's still born, Eels. Yeah, I mean, that's why it's such a weird dynamic, because the, uh, for me, they had been quite working the match quite baby ish And then they win the match by cheating with the. The ring bell. It was. It was very strange, but it was no made the match no less enjoyable. It was a good match, I thought. Yeah, and Terry Lawler is up in arms about this about you know the use of the ring bell, and they asked the ref after the match, "Aren't you wondering why there's no bell?" Also, <laughs> <laughs> the bell in the ring because Christian then drops it to the outside, which means the king here can't ring it after the match. But they're still declared the winners. Edge and Christian go on. Uh, there was still opening fun opening match. I thought to. Start off the show, 11 minutes, 47 seconds. Oh, actually, that's a different match. I'm looking at. 
Uh, it was a fun match to kind of open the show, you know, eight minutes, 37. Yeah, this got, it was quick, uh, and they, but they packed a lot into those eight minutes. Yeah, it's it a really fun match. I didn't realise it was that short. I just thought it felt short because it was such a sort of fast-paced uh, and good match. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, good choice for opener, definitely. Yeah, I think I think so too. Uh, the Rock arrives in the building with that classic, a limo pulls up. Who's, who's in the limo? Well, usually it's one of a few people. It's The Rock, Triple H, or someone in the McMahons. And if the McMahons pop out, usually Triple H is with them. So... You know, and it ends up being the rock. He comes out. He's lived, he's he's long pants. He's got his he's five hundred dollars shirt. So he's talk about nothing under it. It's open. He just randomly walks through with an open shirt because he's the rock and he can do what he wants. And he, and he yeah. gets a pop. He gets a pop just by getting out of a car. I mean, there's not many wrestlers who could, especially ba- well, not many baby face wrestlers who could get away with showing up in a a limo and boasting about five hundred dollars shirts that. You know, even I wouldn't wear, and I've got no fashion sense. And uh, uh, yeah, and he still gets a, a massive pop. I mean, imagine your your big star these days um, getting out of a limo. It, they'd be booed in an instant, probably nowadays. Probably. Next uh, up, a match I've actually talked about twice. Uh, this would be the second time I've talked about this, this title this weekend. This particular match. As we did a retrospective over in Scotland, Paul Graham Poggers about this title, uh, one that a lot of people kind of forget about. The WWF Light Heavyweight Championship is Scotty Too Hotty challenges Dean Malenko for the title. Uh, Scotty did beat Dean Malenko two weeks ago for the title, but then on the go home SmackDown, Dean won it back. And to show you the replay of how he won it back, and that still baffles me how, how they managed to get away with this finish. Where Dean Malenko sits down on Scotty after a sunset flip. Leans far with all pretty much all his weight on the the rope. The referee acts like he can't see it, but the re- he starts leaning on the ropes as the referee is going down. Like fucking Stevie Wonder could sit in the cheap seats and still see that, that he was cheating. Like it was unbelievable. I mean, are the refs in two thousand blind? I mean, they can't see t- obvious tags, and they miss people clinging onto the ropes for dear life when they're pinning somebody. It's uh, yeah the. They're not very good at their jobs back in those days, are they? Not really. Uh, what's interesting about the lightweight title is uh, you see in the replay that it's got a, a red strap to it. And I knew there was a change. I didn't know when it happened. But yeah, this show here is the debut of the new version of the lightweight title with the same kind of plate design, but now a black strap. And I always preferred the red strap because the black one made it a bit too kind of basic looking. But uh, do you have any memories of this, of this title? It's a title that a lot of people kind of forget about. Uh, only fleeting memories. I, I completely forgot these two had held it. Uh, I remember it being introduced and Takamitha Noko winning it. I remember him defending it, I think, at WrestleMania 14. And then sort of, since a man stopped crying about the title. And so, so did the viewers. I remember Christian won it. Um, one of his first matches, I think. And then, yeah. but he dropped it quite quick. Did he? Did he lose it to Gilbert? Is this post Gilbert now, or is this before yeah. Gilbert? When it? Yeah, this is post because like Christian lost to Gilbert, and then SA Rios beat Gilbert, and then dropped it to Malenko, who's now been trading up with Scotty. That's it, because like obviously the greatest light heavyweight champion of all time, Gilbert. <laughs> and don't you forget, I expect his Hall of Fame induction is imminent. But 
like I mentioned when uh, I talked to this with Paul that Scott is very over and Dean Malenko is not. And that <laughs> yeah, helps. Yeah, the, the, the pop for Scotty Too I forgot how over Scotty Too and, um, well, uh, what, what was the tag team bloody? Too cool, wasn't it? And Rikishi. Yeah. I forgot, yeah, the, I forgot how over they were back in them days. Crazy. Yeah, yeah Rikishi's not on the, the show. Uh, and he's also he'll really over Grandma's sex to recover from injury, but he'll be back by the next pay per view. Uh, so this is a rare like singles like run for Scotty in the light heavyweight division. Um, yeah, like it's weird how over he is. It's weird that Rikishi hasn't had a spot like for him on uh, the show. But like I said, he's over Malenko isn't, which actually helps their heel face dynamic because whenever Malenko's working, all the crowd are pretty silent. But then as soon as Scotty does anything to start a combat, the crowd then come alive again. He's got one of the most over yet ineffective moves in history. Uh, <laughs> and this is a time when the people's elbows are, and I'm talking about the worm. And you've got people with little signs about the worm and everything. Uh, so he does get off to a hot start. He goes for the, the face burst he does. It sets up the worm, but Lenko just turns around and close lines him, just knocks him on his ass. And that kind of sets him up to be kind of worked over. He works relentlessly on his, his knee, also stop him you know, doing his dancing. And at least to kind of have some continuity from SmackDown where Malenko, he keeps trying to see again, grab the ropes, but the referee keeps, you know, it's slightly smarter this time, he keeps catching on to him and, you know, calling him out on his, his cheating. Uh, I can see why Malenko would be the one to, like, would be chosen to be uh, a heel in the light heavyweight division, or he was a, a prominent fixture in the cruiserweight division over in WCW and a man of a thousand holds, but in this big, you know, large life WWF 2000 year, he's seen as uh, quite boring. Yeah, it, it didn't really work for him in um, WWE at all. Him and him and Perry sat and sort of died died a bit of a death, didn't they? Really, um, bless him. But uh, yeah, he's he, he's a good he's a good worker, and uh, it's again it's a decent match, and it just shows you moves like the worm. Even nowadays, if you have the right sort of build and set up and pizzazz. You can get virtually anything over, can't you? Like the people's elbow is just a buzzy elbow drop, and even the five knuckle shuffle isn't that spectacular. But yeah, it's truly amazing for the what you know. If you're over yourself, what sort of moves you can get over? It's uh, it's a testament to the talent, really. Yeah, and it's a testament to Scotty. Like the crowd are quite. Uh, Clout during this, uh, he gets his like I said, his leg worked over, gets slammed into the ring post, and then Scotty manages to kick Malenko like, off when he's sent up for some submission. The crowd kind of start to come back into it. He gets a brief pop after he counters the takes close onto a small package, and then he eventually they, they teased it and he finally actually hit the worm. And I don't know if this is the period yet, but very soon they'll have the crowd even joining him. He does a couple of jumps to set up, you have to show. For giant W O R M. Oh yeah, yeah, I got. I forgot about that. Yeah, it gets more, uh, more elaborate over time, doesn't it? The worm. It's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's good for Scotty so because, like, I forget how over Tuko. Yeah, I'm surprised every week when they come out, just the responses kind of dig in. I think a lot of people do forget how popular they were in 2000. But this match is a very unique finish because. You know, Scotty got hit with a super flex earlier on because he's a bit too slow to get up to the the timber hook because the the damage on his knee, uh, and so Michael goes to the top. Scotty goes up to meet him and maybe tries for a suplex of his own, and then 
as they're a bit a few seconds of like you're not really sure what they're doing. Lincoln kinda has a DDT off the top rope and Sarah and the King are like blown away like, Oh my god, I did what a DDT off the top rope guy is out of it and Dean Malenko rolls them over for the win in eleven minutes forty seven. So, you know, it's very rare that the light heavyweight title got much time on a, a pay per view kind of a prominent singles match, but you know, having somebody like Scotty as over as he is and challenging for it, I would have been Sam talked about how it would have made a lot more sense and maybe meant a lot more if Scotty came into the pay per view as the champion and then lost and then he could continue, you know, trying to chase after it. But you know, this is probably I think the height of the most prominent like singles match Scotty to Hottie would ever have, and I think it's the height of Dean Malenko's very short run in the WWF. Yeah, it's it's not a bad match. I mean, it started off really well. It sort of lulled a bit in the middle, strangely, mm-hmm. when Dean Malenko is sort of in control of the match and then picked up again, I thought, for the finish. And yeah, what a finish that was. You don't, you don't see top rope DDTs very often, do you? And yeah, it's, it's no wonder that that was the, the finish. You, you're not, you're not going to kick out of that unless you're a young bark. <laughs> no. Well, I mean... I'm interested that nobody's really tried uh, a finish like that before, because also it's not a move you can use like in every match, because you know the, the, what it takes to kind of set up. But you know, I'd be interested to see if anybody else can have attempting that and trying to pull off as well as these guys did. Yeah, I mean, looking at the sort of moves they they, they sort of banned and what that you do nowadays, I don't see a top rope DDT happening in WWE anytime soon, but. Uh, you never know. Uh, they might bash it out in one of the other sort of um, organisations. Yeah. You never know. You, know, you can see it in an AEW, someone like that. Uh, but we go backstage in the McMahon Helmsley, you know, regime. You got Triple H, uh, the world champion. You got women's champion, Stephanie. Uh, you got Vince, and Shane eventually comes in with his referee shirt because uh, he's the referee for the main event. And it seems like Patterson and Briscoe, the stooges, are now realigned with Vince McMahon and they're here to do whatever they can to assist Vince McMahon like I want to make sure you're all with me it's all hands on deck tonight and they're like yes and got Brayla Briscoe they're like yeah we're all with you Mr. McMahon <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's funny that uh, you got Shane with his, his t-shirt uh, his ref shirt I think it's Shane I think it's Stephanie or Triple H a joke she's trying to maybe cut the sleeves off of that because a lot of wrestlers somehow they say uh, I don't want to wear a ref- regular referee shirt. I'll cut these sleeves off so people can see how large my arms are. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I forgot about is uh, Stephanie McMahon. Be- I, know, I know she was women's champion, but I forgot it was around this time. So uh, that was a that was another thing. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot forgot Steph was uh, women's champ. Who did she win it off? Cat was it the cat? No, it was actually Jacqueline. Ah, oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely a man beating Jacqueline. That's believable. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think it was a. Was it, this is the main event of the Go Home Show for WrestleMania. She won the title uh, after uh, Tori hit Jacqueline with a DDT behind the rest back, and it took ages for Stephanie to cover. So in kayfabe in two thousand, uh, Tori's got a more devastating DDT than likes of Jake Roberts. Clearly, <laughs> and yeah, and then like we talk, we talk, we talk about it nowadays. Devin Man created women's wrestling. And how could you do that if she doesn't become women's champion herself? You know, to create women's wrestling, you must become women's wrestling. It's like, it's like Batman begins to conquer fear, you must become fear itself. <laughs> must have been, must have been similar to the pedigree that beat Booker T at WrestleMania 19, because because he had to wait about half a minute before he got co- before he got covered 
in uh, in that match. So maybe there's a spot on the ring that's a bit harder or something. Perhaps, you know, we, we always get told the apron is the hardest part of the ring, but what is the second hardest part of the ring? We'll never know. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> but uh, up next, we have the big boss man who gets loud boss man such chance. At this point, maybe he's got Alien Virgin Vex Bok Heat teaming up with the upstart Big Barry Bill Buchanan taking on the EPA. I mean, they're still called the Acolytes, but they have the EPA kind of music and uh, they have started the whole EPA skits backstage and not offering protection to people. So this is getting to a really, you know, the best kind of period for Bradshaw and Furry as a team. And this turns into pretty much, you know, it's very different from the last couple of matches. This is pretty much just a brawl and the deal. This is what these get APA likes, a big brawl in a, in a bar on a Friday night or something like that. Yeah. And so it makes it feel more real, you know, them just battering the hell of each other. You know, Bossman takes a very nasty looking shot into the ring steps. But I think, like, Bill Buchanan looked great. I think he looked the best out of all, despite having probably the least experience out of all of them. But there are points because it looks so much like a brawl. There are spots that kind of look a bit, uh, trying to think of the word, there are spots that don't look as well as they should, you know, so it's not the most crisp match. Yeah, and uh, they were probably working quite snug knowing uh, mm-hmm. knowing these guys, especially the APA. Uh, a technical masterclass this was never going to be. But I'm going to ask you, Scott, how many times did we have to be told that Bob Buchanan is 6 foot 8 and over 300 pounds? I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we heard that at least three times dur- during the match. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to make sure, if, you know, you're a Vince man, like, like he's big man over six foot plus. You know, Bill Buchanan's son is actually in NXT 2.0, and I'm sure he'll be in for big things. Uh, he's got a very NXT name as his son. He's now known as Brooks Jensen. Fuck's sake. These names are getting worse, aren't they? Von Wagner and Bron Breaker. I mean, do they just like put a lot of crap names in a hat and then pull them out? Yeah, that's your name, pal. <laughs> uh, I know. I mean, like, I know he was called B Square at one point. I mean, is there not a. That was a up- genius name! <laughs> B Squared. You know, what's the next up? B Cubed. There you go. That's, that should be Brooks Jensen's actual <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, he, he had some d- decent moves and he's quite athletic for a big man. And they, but he had, didn't have much personality and he tried several times to sort of push Bob Buchanan but never really got very very far with him. I think his stint as B-squared with John Cena was probably the, the highlight of his career, to be fair. Yeah, he's a, he had quite a few names because obviously he was Bill Buchanan, he was B-squared, but before this he was in the Truth Commission as, a, I think it was a Sniper or Recon, one of the two, which uh, like yeah, which just sounds like a low-level Decepticon to me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, like they are working quite, I mean, Buchanan does nearly slip as he's coming off the top for a clothesline on a Bradshaw, but he manages to you know, save enough it to make it not look totally botched. Uh, he does get he's like get like hit quite snug by the baby, especially Farouk who takes him in and slams him down with his spine buster and when Farouk drove you down and that he fucking drove you down, like whether you wanted to or not. Bradshaw, <laughs> Bradshaw does go to the top rope, but Bossman grabs his foot to allow his began to kinda of leap up to the top rope he's quite agile, despite being, as you said, six foot eight, two hundred and hour odd pounds. Three hundred it's three hundred, Scott, damn it. 
clearly they didn't talk about it enough. They really should talk about it more to JR and King. But he has managed it to needed, with a system. It needed mentioning at least another seven times in, in my book. Uh, it looks like the AP have it one with a, a closing from Hill, but Bosman manages to get in just in time and he takes Farouk out on the outside with the uh, the nightstick and Buchanan. Uh, he hits Bradshaw behind the rest back and so Buchanan takes advantage with a top rope uh, scissors kick. A lot of the key spots uh, that were actually decent I have in my notes are from Buchanan. So it does feel like matches like this are kind of set up to kind of help him stand out amongst the other like established guys. Yeah, he's definitely the project here. Um, they, they definitely have, at this point, they definitely have big plans for Bull Buchanan. I mean, as I keep saying and joking aside, but they are sort of literally hitting you over the head with the fact he's six foot eight and 300 pounds. So, you know, they're, they're pretty, they want to impress you with his size and his top, his top rope scissor kick is pretty cool looking actually, but I must admit, I wouldn't fancy taking that from a three hundred pound man. I've got to be no. honest. <laughs> no, no. I mean, like we talked about, like you know, the light heavyweight you know, division, the match before, and uh, you got a guy like you said, you know, three hundred over three hundred pounds, six foot plus, and he's I mean, he just manages to leap up to the top rope in a single, a single bound, as you might say, uh, <laughs> just so effortlessly, just goes to how like talented he really was. It's uh, so obviously the heels got the win. Uh, we go back to the, to the Hardys who. Agree that you know I may have to come down to them fighting each other in the next match. But I think it's funny that Matt feels he needs to come at Jeff and say you know, you know it's every man for himself. We may have to fight each other. He's had a match on SmackDown just this past week, what, and suddenly it just crossed your mind now that you may have to fight each other when only <laughs> one person can win. God, you're a fucking idiot, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is and, then, and this is before he lost the plot and went all broken as well. Ah, uh, easy. Maybe he's just he's, got too, he's taking too many bumps to the head, you know. And Jeff, you got Jeff Harder. You know, that's where it's got to be, man. It's got to be that way, man. Uh, and then you got the Holly Cousins back to the time a similar conversation, but like Crash is like, you know, why do we need to fight each other? You know, let's team up, you know. Let's you know, take everybody out. If it comes to us to lead a better man when he puts his hand out and Carker just smacks him across the head, like, why are you such an idiot? <laughs> they had quite a fun dynamic, actually. I used to, I used to quite like the, the Harleys, especially with the, like when they had the gimmick that they were well over 400 pounds and they'd carry their scales um, to the ring. I mean, Crash Harley was probably about 150 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have up next the Hardcore uh, Battle Royal. A lot of people say about Backlash and the reason it's so good is because a lot of uh, mistakes maybe that WF made in, uh, with WrestleMania 2000 are almost corrected. And basically it's a similar format to the uh, the match they had for the Hardcore Telemania 2000 except it's just a one fault of finish and there's significantly less people and they're taking away the whole time limit because also famously that Hardcore Battle Royal was made to end at Mania with Heart Crash mm. winning and uh, hardcore end up walking out with the belt. I was going to say they had the right winner this time as well, but <laughs> poor, poor old Taz, after a great start at the Royal Rumble beating Kurt Angle, he's already shunted into the sort of hardcore title picture. Yeah, I think I think it's because he's an ECW guy. They think, ah, you're from that hardcore company. You you know something about hardcore. Go fight for the hardcore title. He said a couple of you know blinking or missing or reigns with the the belt, but nothing really of, of note. Uh, even though I think in ECW, you know, he wasn't really about being hardcore. It's just the fact that he was, you know, a legit tough guy who would throw you and drop you on your head or put you to sleep. 
so Crash, the story of this match, uh, obviously, because you've not been watching the SmackDowns, like we have uh, Crash also won the belt back on Raw again. I've not correct the mistake from the previous night. He held on to it for the whole, or pretty much most of the belt. You know, he had a couple of attempts where like uh, Perry Saturn and Taz won the belt, but Crash would always get it back. Uh, so the, the main fighting's been between Hardcore Crash, Taz, and Perry Saturn, and then the Hardys were randomly added uh, on the Raw, the Go Home Raw, where Matt Hardy won the title and then had a hardcore title match with uh, with Jeff on SmackDown, a really decent match. And it's weird, these guys have had matches at WrestleMania and pay-per-views across TNA and WWE, and yet this match in SmackDown is probably the best match I've seen them both have against each other. And then at the end of it, also, there's a big smudge with all the other guys in this match, and Crash walked out with it. So Crash manages to walk into the pay-per-view uh, as a champion, but will he walk out? We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, this is quite a fun fun time. They tried to replicate um, Crash Holly sort of twenty four seven title reign with the hardcore title because he's the one who sort of oh defend it twenty four seven twenty four hours a day seven days a week kind of thing. And I sort of started all these funny little skits with um, Crash Holly having to defend his title wherever he went and uh, they've tried to replicate that in recent years with the 24-7 title was sort of uh, middling success really and it's kind of probably run its course um, as we talk now in uh, October of 2021 to be honest mm-hmm. Yeah it's been quite it's been on we've been over it for quite a while now so I think we're just counting the days until they Debbie finally realises that they're, they probably should cut their losses with it. I'm probably thinking about this way more than I should, but I was really confused with the the choice of order of entry here with other wrestlers. So you have Crash come out first, with the shopping trolley weapons, then you had Taz come out, then the Hardys come out together, out comes Hardcore, and then Perry Saturn with music I don't think I've ever heard before. He doesn't come out to the Radicals music like... Uh, like uh, Dean Malenko did, and Benoit uh, ben and Guerrero have their own music by this point. So then he comes out to this random music. You don't even see most of him walking down, and then he randomly starts brawling with Crash on the, uh, the the ramp because Crash is trying to stay as far away from the guys in the ring. And I, I don't know why, but I just, it just confused me so much. Like, why of all people is Perry Saturn coming out last, as if he's the one to be safe for, you know, last and, last and certainly least, uh, Perry Saturn? Yeah, I mean... It comes out to literally no response. I mean, the writing's pretty much on the wall for Perry Saturn here. And yeah, I don't quite understand. I think uh, maybe, you know, the champion should have come out last or maybe Taz or the Hardys. I don't quite know why they were Perry Saturn. And yes, um, skipping ahead a little bit, trust the Hardy boys to scale the swinging hook things and jump off them. I mean, yeah. the fact that they're still the fact that they're still wrestling twenty one years later is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, it's amazing they can even flip and walk the stunts they were doing back in these days. Yeah, and like, and like Matt's kind of only a part time wrestler; he's mostly a manager kind of now. And you think out of the two, the uh, you think one of them's wrestling full time, the other's mostly has an outside the ring role. You think it'd be Jeff? You think Jeff would be fucked with all the? He was the one that took the, the most risksingly of the two, and yet he's the one still wrestling kind of on more full time basis. And like as we were talking in like October 2021, he's just been drafted over to SmackDown and doesn't show any signs of slowing down. 
Yeah, I think I think what the the big difference is Jeff didn't have that um top top rope leg drop in his repertoire mm-hmm. and that's what Matt reckons um really effed him up because it sort of compressed the spine. I mean, because Hulk Hogan had a lot of problems with just a you know with just doing a regular leg drop mm-hmm. for most of his career. So you can only imagine what a top rope leg drop does to you, and especially when he'd do it off the top of the really tall ladders as well. Just mm-hmm. uh, yeah, as I say, yeah, it's amazing they can still bloody walk in all honesty. But yeah, like the moment you were talking about, like it happens very quickly into the match where everybody's just scrambling after Krasty runs uh, towards Entrap, and then Diggs is a good idea to Krasty try and climb up the uh, the metal spikes, and uh, I believe it's Matt that goes after him, and Matt starts hitting him, and then the other guys are trying to grab his leg, and like it just really seems like they're all gathering to like catch him or whatever. But then Crash falls, but he doesn't fully fall because his leg gets caught in the the metal truss, which uh, I don't imagine would have to kind of hurt with his leg dangling the way it is, and. I'm not entirely sure that that was meant to happen because he kind of awkwardly kind of falls and I think Matt does a, a dive or so like onto everybody and then as they're all kind of scurling around the, the truss, you've got uh, Jeff who grabs the uh, swing hook and like you said it probably would be him of everybody to do it. He swings around and hits a, a Hurricane Rana onto Perry Saturn which I thought was actually pretty decent. Uh, Matt then brings Crash back to the ring and that uh, plays into what they were saying the Hardy's backstage. It seems like like a lot, for a wee while, the match is going to a battle where basically somebody does a move, tries to bring Crash, somebody comes in and kicks them and moves them off and tries to steal the pin for themselves, even though somebody's done and right there. And there are a few moments where one or two people like Matt was guilty of this early on where he stood and waited for somebody to go for a pin before he did anything. Uh, so I think the crowd do go quiet for a wee bit because the the middle part of this match is very repetitive. Like, someone goes for a pin, someone breaks up, runs for beat. Yeah, it's uh, but it's a fun match. It works really well, and uh, obviously uh, weapons, and of course, because the Hardys are in it, ladders get introduced as well. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot. You know, there's, there's a lot happening, and you, you you know you don't get bored watching this match. It's they were a lot of fun when done right. These uh, these hardcore multi man matches. Yeah, and Crash poor guy. I think you can count one hand the amount of moves he delivers in this match, but you lose kind of how many big moves are delivered to him because like he takes the lion's share of the match. It's basically a five-on-one handicap match at points. The way he crashes, just getting the hell beaten out of him. You got all sorts of eleven. You got the trash can. Those were a favor of the hardcore division. Jeff randomly grabs like an orange, big orange like cable, and tries to choke somebody with it at one point, uh, which was a weird choice to get. And then they said like the Hardys obviously had to have a spot involving the ladder, and the ladder. Game probably gets like the biggest response to the match up until that point. Uh, so much so the the commentators were quite like, even the ladder gets a puff because I think you'll <laughs> say the uh, the match for Mania is still fresh in a lot of people's heads. So Hardy's plus ladders, even at this point, you think, oh, something crazy is about to happen. Yeah, there was only well, it was only about a, a month ago or so, wasn't it? So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And uh, yeah, the crazy things the, the Hardys do. That it was going to, you know. You just wait to see what sort of stunt they're going to do. And, and hot take, I actually think Crash is one of the more underrated wrestlers. I think he had a, I think he had a very good run um, in the mid card with uh, you know the hardcore titles, and he he was a decent wrestler with you know quite a quite a fair bit of charisma, more so than uh, 
hardcore Holly, I would say. He was, uh, you know, he was, he was always fun to watch and always delivered, I thought. Yeah, I think after his time, the hardcore division was done. I think he sticks around. Like, he finishes up in the hardcore division like some point in mid-2000 and goes into, like, up after other things. But he sticks around until 2003, but I think a lot of people would have a hard time telling you anything he did. Because, like, he held four different titles and not just the, including the hardcore title, but I think a lot of people's main memories of him are in this. Because like he's a former tag champ, he and hardcore have briefly run as tag champ. He would have like blinking on this that runs with the light heavyweight and European titles. But I imagine most people who you asked about Crash, they could not tell you that, that any of those things happened. They'd say, Crash, oh yeah, 24 7 guy. I remember him winning the tag titles as well, but I must admit, I totally forgot he won the light heavyweight title in the European title. Yeah, well, we barely got on TV. We talked about that in the light heavyweight, light heavyweight tale, which is with me and Paul. That he wins it on heat, doesn't get, can't get on WrestleMania, not even X7, not even on Sunday Night Heat, and then loses it on the backlash, the backlash Sunday Night Heat. So it's one of those, you know, again, forgotten reigns, like any reigns for the light heavyweight title. Bit like a, a bit like a bit of a pre-show sort of title, wasn't it? By by um, by that point, yeah, pretty much a pre-show, C-show kind of. But then obviously you got the ladder, you got the Swanton by Jeff, and then again the Hardy's starting to break up Vince and uh, Taz actually gets the Taz mission on a crash. It just gets a big pop from the Washington fans. Also, you wouldn't think ECW is popular in, in DC, but Taz does get a big pop. Well, it looks like he's going to win the title, but Perry Saturn puts a stop to it literally with a massive stop sign, and then they spill to the outside where Matt and Jeff do crossboys on a. Uh, hardcore and Saturn, which basically takes everybody out, and so Taz is out of it because he's got hit with a sign. And Gratis manages to roll his arm over and pin Taz, so he manages to somehow escape after all this punishment and retain his hardcore title in about 12 minutes 18. And you know, JR reminds us of his, uh, his nickname at the time, the Houdini of hardcore. And and Taz, notably, already doing jobs. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think he's already been been doing jobs, but yeah, like that he was the one out of the six to get pinned, you know. And Perry Saturn's in this match. Well, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there, there's plenty of Perry Saturn fans, you know, from the same from ECW and WCW and all that crap. But you know, in terms of WWF stuff, I'm sorry. From what I've seen so far, he's a bit crap, and I'm sorry. Like he does, he's not more important than Taz here. I mean, I must admit, I, I enjoyed Perry Saturn in WCW before he made the jump to WWF. Um, he had quite a good finish of the rings of Saturn and uh, some uh, decent, decent matches. And I think, I think he might have been part of Raven's flock or mm-hmm. had something to do with that. And yeah, I always thought he was all right in WCW, but for some reason, WWF just he couldn't get going for some reason. Yeah. And you wouldn't think about it. Allegedly, he was one of the radicals that he actually saw something in. Uh, I don't know how, and I don't know at what point that went you know, awry for, for Perry. But you know, apparently that was a thing. And <laughs> like, like you said, unlike me, you know, the right person won here with Crash. I imagine an escape with the hardcore title. Uh, we get kind of a nothing segment with, with Shane backstage being interviewed by Jonathan Coachman. He basically just assures them, you know, I'm the right person to main event. I'm the right person to be the referee for the main event. And 
acting like he's definitely not going to screw the rock at the title. He's definitely not going to be a fair official. And then he says, "No, I got to get ready now. We're, we're, you know, we're up soon." Like he says, "We're up soon," as if he's got like he's against the clock to get ready. Like you've got over an hour, over an hour passes until we even <laughs> think about the main event. Like how long does it take you, Shane, to put on a referee shirt? Is this how strenuous is any kind of physical activity for you? Is that why you're so sweaty nowadays? He, he, he probably has his manservants to help dress him and stuff, Scott. And just, I mean, and I'm sure the whole world believed him when he said he was going to call the match down the middle. I mean, that shame of man, there's a person you can trust. Of course, if that's the mess. And I think, I think, am I right thinking he he was the special guest referee in the previous backlash as well, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, when uh, Rock, um, Rock and Austin r- wrestled. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. He was, he was heavily involved in kind of the finish of that match at the time. See, see, he's a proper, he's a proper referee, damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah, he totally is. He's definitely not shady in any way. Uh, but this next match, you know, I forgot about how this match actually played out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. looking forward to talking about it. Save here, yeah. Come on, I think. I, even, I, I think we've got a. I think we've got to do the the theme. Bum 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 ba da ba bum. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, I've got all the ears are probably hurting. <laughs> I mean. It belongs to a horrible human being, but it's a fucking tune. You can't deny that. <laughs> it really is. It, it's one of the best entrance themes of all time, um, whether it belongs to yeah, a shady character like Hulk Hogan or not. Mm-hmm. Which of the stitches used it uh, one time for a piss take, but <laughs> actually they came out to it with Linda to that music. And the idea of like this so one of the most over the top theme songs for originally used for one of the most over the top characters in wrestling being used while Lynn McMahon, one of the most expressionless humans <laughs> you'll ever meet. <laughs> just walking down to it. I just there's something they can't that can't not be funny. Uh, but this Kurt Angle taking on the big show and the video package explains to you Big Show has gone Hollywood. He's had moments where he's dressing up, you know, like Val Venus, he was the big pimp. When he took on the Godfather, uh, he's dressed up as a Scottish person. A bit of cultural appropriation there, in my part, uh, in my opinion. You know, even though he said a bit more Irish than Scottish. Uh, and it was as he was dressed as Scotsman that he was teamed with Kurt Angle for the tag titles. And Kurt was annoyed with Big Show, like basically not taking it seriously. And then when you meet, basically, don't make the Big Show angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry, which is ironic that you say don't piss off the Big Show. At no point in this Hollywood does he ever think to come out like the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mad time for the for the big show where he's like ripping off other gimmicks and you know, he's doing like movie characters like Fat Bastard from Austin Powers. And is this is this what Vince McMahon had in mind and envisioned when he was telling Dave Meltzer that WCW can't book him. They don't know how to book big men. I know how to book big men. This is <laughs> this is his idea of booking big men. Is it having them prance around in um, yellow tights, which is very which is very off putting because you could see his bulge. 
<laughs> you can be kids like Sue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I and also I'll say, but Krangle's big issue is like he thinks that the big show is wasting his potential by going in this kind of silly direction. He is basically this is a kind of a face turn for the big show. Like, almost it doesn't care that he got eliminated quite quickly in that field before. I mean, yeah, he's just immediately. Goes into this weird phase, no, all the way big show, but don't piss him off. Uh, and for those keeping score, I think I mentioned already, that's his fifth turn since he joined the company. He's been in the company for 14 <laughs> months. 14 it's, months. He's already had both turns of most wrestlers in, in <laughs> a 14 months span. I mean, I mean, they basically screwed him up straight away when they had um, Austin pin him. I mean, why even? Why even do within about a month of him appearing? Why even do that match so soon? It, I know we had to use steel chairs, but you know we were still well beaten on TV. I mean, they just for someone who apparently knew how to book him, they didn't have to make a make a hash of him. Mm-hmm. And so I forgot what Big Show did for his, you know, his entertaining, you know, impressions uh, for this match. And so Angle comes out, compares himself to past presidents, like. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and all that, you know, very, maybe very fitting because it's in uh, Washington. And then he talks about somebody who's very high up, who's very uh, relevant to Washington, D.C. at that present moment. Couldn't remember his name. Don't care, really. It's, it's very much along up there with the uh, you, your local sports team is rubbish kind of, you know, things that heels do. And then he talks about how big, uh, big show is a big ass and he's going to, you know, embarrass him. And then Hulk Hogan's music hits as we, you know, already hinted at. I think you could already tell where this was going. And out comes the showster, complete with the big red and yellow, you know, gear, the shirt that he rips off, the, the trunk. He's got the weight belt. He's got a bandana, which is maybe a ball cap with a bit of hair behind it. Even crazy <laughs> his hair through it. He's got the fake mustache and eyebrows. And then you know he's referred to as the showster and he gets on the mic and he just does the full holding brother. Let me tell you something, brother. <laughs> Don't mess with the showster, dude. Yeah, he does all like the the sort of poses as well, doesn't he? Um, but going back to Angle, I mean, he was so good. He wasn't just a great wrestler, but he had bags of charisma. And he was really good on the mic as well. He he really did have it all, Kurt Angle. For, for somebody who sort of came into it not really sure, and um, he, he played the sort of deluded heel really well, because in his mind, he's like a baby face, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't understand why people don't like appreciate him more. And the, the best part of this feed is even in the video package because though Kurt proven again this period that he can make anything work. He suddenly took up the stance of abstinence during this feud, like where he always preaching it and like trying to encourage other people to join in. He went to some college campus, uh, preaching it and everything. You know, like he said, like oral exams, not oral sex, or something like that. He said, you know, <laughs> or he interrupts a couple or kiss, and he gives the woman a lollipop to try sucking on that instead. And then the big show shows up and starts handing out condoms to everybody. Brilliant. <laughs> because, because you know, again, Vince knows how to pick a big guy. But then he also cuts the big promo. He does like the whole no selling. There's a loud Hogan chant, and it feels weird to like. Take this bigger jab at Hogan, you know, this gimmick, even though Hogan's doing bugger all within WCW of note, he's about to go to a feud with Billy Kidman and his real thing of note right now is every every opportunity he can, he does he talks in interviews about how the young guys aren't cutting in WCW and how the company needs to keep relying on him and 
Ric Flair, so he's really not of any threat to you at this point. But I, f- I think he's only about 10 months from making his big return as well, isn't he, at, at this point? Yeah, he would return like 0-2. I think he would I think he's oh, oh, oh yeah, oh, too. So it's it's a couple of years then, but yeah, it's not it's not a million miles away from his uh, big comeback and the taking the pee out of him. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like if you're not in Vince's good at that current time, you're nothing. You never wore anything without the WWF. As soon as you you make an agreement to come back, oh welcome, I'm back. We're so happy you're here. <laughs> yeah, and even. Quite early into the match, Big Joe even does the the whole no sell routine as well, and even and even JR on commentary says, "Oh, the old no sell." <laughs> and then uh, he thought about how like, oh, the loudest, you know, that's the most pop Hogan's got in a long time. They say when people are chatting <laughs> Hogan, he hits the big boot, does the leg drop, and he kicks out. He goes, "Wow, nobody kicks out the leg drop." And then Kurt like takes out the leg, and you think, "Oh, it won't be a squash because like Kurt's that's working over the leg and." Getting quite angry, and the big show gets angry as he starts like sewing off like the costume, and like he throws the ball cap off, and just starts going full like basically he does his own version of Hulk and where he just batters Kurt, hits a massive choke slam, and pins Kurt two minutes thirty five seconds. This match went, and you know if Twitter was around, everybody would go on and say how could WWE bury Kurt Angle so badly? But I think WWE knew they had, uh, or WF knew they had big plans for Kurt Angle coming two thousand. Yeah, I mean. He he would win the uh, WWE title in the not too distant future. So I think I think I think the whole character, his whole character and persona, he was pretty much very proof. To be honest, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was one of these characters. He would immediately recover from it. Like he would recover from this like quite quickly. So you know, obviously no but- harm. Yeah, and I put in my notes um, this match was mercifully short. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've no desire to see a big show match really go the distance, so I was glad it got you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Especially in those tights, Jesus Christ. Uh, next up, we have a match that you would you'd be surprised that it needed a required a video package to tell you the, the main story behind it. But we have the Dudleys taking on TNA. Uh, Tess and Albert accompanied by Trish and basically, you know, Bubba Ray, you know, the baby face, uh, is into putting women through tables. I wanted to put Trish through a table, I couldn't. Then she started taunting him and getting promos about about tables with riddled with innuendos and trying to basically taunt him and started dancing on a table it cost him a match on Raw and you know, TNA have obviously been beating up the, the Dudley's at every opportunity. And then also it shows in the video package that Bubba Ray looked like he was finally gonna put her through a table on SmackDown. She ends up kissing him, which kind of puts him into a bit of a trance, allowing Albert to then put him through the table. But now also the other question is, does Burberry, do Burberry and Trish actually like each other, or is this all Trish's you know, big con and she's trying to stop herself being put through the table? And then she cuts a, another innuendo-like promo with uh, Michael Cole, basically talking about, you know, I, I like Burberry, he wears his emotions on his sleeve, because most men bottle all that up when they're around me until eventually they explode. And then... <laughs> Back in back into back in two thousand, I got through quite a few tissues watching watching that particular segment. Jesus Christ! Yes, I brought a tear to Carl's eye that segment. So it does. That's it. That, that's that's what I meant. <laughs> uh, that shows Bob Ray watching now that segment on a very two thousands looking TV uh, when Devon tries to 
no snaps and sends anyway. Come on, let's go do business the Dudley way, the right way. Let's go out there and testify. And he basically says, let's go do the business the right way. Like, yes, the right way. Like, by putting women through tables. I mean, this is, again, another thing. Back in 2000, uh, being serious now, um, you, you just didn't really think anything about him putting, you know, powerbombing women through, the ta- through tables. Even, like, 70-odd-year-olds like Mueller and May Young. But now looking back, it's very problematic and you think, oh, Jesus Christ, you really, you know, they really did that back then and I sort of, you know, people like me really sort of <laughs> enjoyed it as well. And now you think, well, you know, what what, what was the world thinking back in them days, really? But I just, another thing I just want to say about Trish, when you compare her to the likes of Deborah and Tori who have the combined charisma of a plank of wood, I mean, Trish really has a lot of charisma and personality. She's not just a pretty face, and, you know, she really is a pretty face, let's be fair. But, uh, yeah, she, she had a, you know, she, she, was, she was really talented compared to a lot of the others back in those days, and um, a fair, you know, fair play to her. Yeah. Probably had more, probably had more charisma than Tess and Albert combined as well. In all fairness, not that that's not that that's saying a great deal. I was gonna say, like uh, TNA as a tag team often do get kind of forgotten. I think, and I think this match shows that uh, you know I think they were a lot better than they were ever given credit for because this match was better than it probably had any right to be considering what the story was going into it. Because like TNA hadn't got that many big wins on TV in that. Uh, up until the last week or, week or so before the pay-per-view. They had uh, like a win at Mania and then again went back to losing in matches. And so also it made you think, like, why they, so they started ramping up in the week or so before the pay-per-view trying to make them look like a threat. They had them also put Bubba through the, the table. And like, I think it's actually better than you're thinking. Like, Trish didn't get as involved as you'd expect. She got involved in the ending and she was involved at the start with uh, Bubba kind of chasing her around the ring. But it's a middle port and you can't let the guys just go out and you know put on a, a really strong I thought tag match because as I said you got like Bubba chasing her in the ring but at least he wanted to kind of get worked over by Albert for a bit but then the Dudley's kind of take back control they hit their versions of what's up or they hit their like, what's up you know the heads put to the, the balls and the uh, calls it the Dudley's own version of birth control <laughs> I mean that's another pretty horrendous move looking back that was so over back in them days just because they added the whole WhatsApp bit to it from the, the Budweiser's adverts back in those days, which even as a 20-year-old, I found super annoying. I won't lie. <laughs> and I'm also going to use this as um, a chance to boast to the fact that I've actually met Trish Stratus, and that means we're practically best friends. <laughs> Oh, look at me, I think just right. Rub it in, why don't you? Have <laughs> it right in, why don't you? But, uh, <laughs> hey. So, I don't even, I don't. You've thrown me off there. So you see him, he rubs in, we invite him on as a guest, and he's just lording this, talking about the wrestlers he's met and all sorts. I mean, best pal, Trish Why don't you go do a podcast with her about bloody Loki and the bad batch? <laughs> I bloody would if if she was up for it, mate. I tell you. But uh, <laughs> I imagine she's got 
better things to do than podcasts with the likes of me. But no, in all fairness, I mean, she's one of the nice. I've met, well, I haven't met that many wrestlers, but she's she is super, super nice. As in, you know, a nice person. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the, the match, uh, and eventually gets isolated by uh, TNA and uh, double teams. And every every time like, he gets, seems like they're going to pin him, yeah, Bubba Ray very loudly yelling, kick out! <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> Evelyn went to be able to work that himself. Very good you're here, Bubba, you know. What a nice half-brother you are. Uh, they do do like, a cool double team move. They kind of pick him up and kind of flip him over onto his front. Kind of a, I don't even know what you call it, but it's like, it would be one of those moves that Vince McMahon, if he was on commentary, would go, oh, what a manoeuvre. Uh, <laughs> again, the uh, whole referee misses a tag yet again. There were very loud, we want tables chants. Uh, when Bubba was in the ring, he just yelled at Trish, you know, he goes from kind of like chasing her and being obsessed with her to then suddenly just yelling at her, I'm going to get you, you bitch. <laughs> again, <laughs> nothing wrong with that in 2000, apparently. Uh, perfectly, perfectly noble and acceptable, Scott. Uh, the right starts being done with all four guys kind of in the ring. Albert has he kind of slammed the ball to one thing would be going to be called. Tess goes for his elbow drop, but Devon manages to pull uh, Bubba out of the way of it. Uh, they do hit the 3D, well, they say go for it, and then like, Trish gets a. Uh, Trish like, distracts Bubba, and then that allows the Tess to have a big boot on Bubba for the win. So T and actually get a win and stand over 11 minutes on the Dudleys, which. You wouldn't have expected at this point. So, before we talk about the uh, the post match, like, what did you actually think of the match? You know itself. You know, even though the TNA are often to see why a lot of people is kind of a forgettable team. Yeah, it, it's not the best match to be honest. I put I didn't put a great deal about it. I, I just thought it, I just thought it was a, a little bit boring. But that's what you sort of get with uh, Test and Albert, unfortunately. But um, nothing else. The Dudleys. I mean, they'd go on to. Have lots of really great matches with um, Edge, Christian, Hardy Boys, and other tag teams. Uh, I always thought they were quite enjoyable in the ring, actually, normally at Dudley's. And I think they can get away with um, getting beat in this match because, um, yeah, sort of memory is Trish finally getting driven through the table like she deserved. <laughs> And then also after the, I like, I like TNA, like I said, I thought this match was better than I thought it probably had any right to be considering what the whole build for it even being there. Like a lot of it wasn't even about Devon or Test and Albert, it was about Bubba and, and Trish. So one half of the people it's really stories about isn't even involved in the in wrestling the match. But, you know, they managed to put on something that was kind of good regardless of that. And yeah, post-match they try and put uh, Trish to a table. She tries to kiss Bubba and it seems like, oh, well, she goes to walk away as if they're like, well, he wouldn't be doing anything to me. He's obsessed with me. Then he grabs her like, no, that's not going to work this time. And then she gets put to the table or she gets given wood uh, as the commentator's uh, <laughs> obsessed with saying. But, like, they, really, they really are, aren't they? But, yeah. but they really make sure he replayed the, the impact of her going to the table. And I think it meant a, her going to the table, I think, at this point makes a, means a lot more, really, compared to the people that he has put to the table so far. Because, like, May Young, obviously she's old, but she's been thought of as one of the toughest people in the locker room, even at her age. Lita was always taking risks with insults, even here. So, like, again, of course, she'd be up for being put to the table. But, you know, Trish, at this point, was probably seen, yeah, just another blonde, you know, 
know, pretty face that WF brought in, just been just brought in the side and just so she can have a platform and Daryl Law can fawn over. But the fact that she agreed to be put to the table and everything shows how guesty she was about wrestling, even though she hasn't really had her, her first official WF match yet. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um... It's easy to forget. She was just a manager at this point. She and uh, I don't think she'd done any wrestling uh, as of yet, as far as I can remember at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah, Faddy's Faddy's to her for, for going through with it. Maybe she might not have had a lot of choice back in those days. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I think I think uh, sort of protected them when he uh, when he. Uh, put them through the table to be to be fair and uh yeah it's not something you'd see today thank thank goodness yeah well again like i said the produce to church were actually going through that and then they i didn't realize they did the whole like full-on stretcher job where like the crowd go very quiet and it goes from yeah she finally got her crumb and she got what she deserved oh this is a very serious situation you know she's not a wrestler she driven very hard to that table. Let's show you another three replays out from different angles as they take her into the uh, yeah, ambulance. And at one point, it's a bit of a load around. Tess just yells at one of the paramedics, get your hands off her, you pervert. <laughs> 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 and then, they, I wonder why the team's telling how they're falling out. But then as the ambulance is leaving, a car drives in and then comes Eddie Guerrero in China, fresh from the, the prom because Eddie passed the GED. So they said they're probably having their problem, but it was also the same that he's yet to wrestle for his European title. Uh, and I, well, from what I know, I've heard about a GED, I don't think you get a prom. So I don't know what the hell, where, what prom Eddie and China end up showing up at. And I imagine in Kiefer, there was some confusion when a grown man and this larger than life woman show up to your prom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be a, a bit weird, wasn't it? But. Uh... Yeah, this, this is at the height of uh, Latino heat, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's not something you'd immediately think of to put Eddie Guerrero with China, but it really it really worked. They had great chemistry together, as even Chris Jericho admitted. It it worked a lot better than he and um, and China. It was uh, yeah, a really fun pairing, and yeah, it's it's. Partner, we mentioned before when we were talking to partners, opponent. When we met, he mentioned before we were talking about the light heavyweight title was S.A. Rias, who uh, had Lita with him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so early doors, early doors, Lita. I think yeah. again, it was the right decision to move her away from from him and put her with the Hardy Boys. That was again another. It's not something you'd really think of at the time, but when they did it, it just seems so right. Mm-hmm. I think she's only put with S.A. Rios because I think she could speak Spanish and S.A. Rios' English was not the best. Obviously, it's, it's not his first language, so I think that was the, the main reason they were really put together, or it wouldn't last very long. But yeah, he came, when he made his like, proper re-debut, uh, and the WF, like when when the Lightweight title gave that title some problems on TV, gave that title some problems on TV for a couple of weeks, and uh, then lost to Dimalenko. They started team with Eddie after Mania, and then as they showed in the video package, Leah kept accidentally fucking up and uh, angered China. So then that led to this match, and China and Eddie, like China held Eddie win the European title because she couldn't resist his Latino heat despite rejecting his advances for weeks leading into Mania. 
and then pinning Eddie at Mania, the like, next night just decides, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll go with Eddie Guerrero. And at this point, they're still being portrayed as heels. I think they're trying to make out that, oh, Eddie's like subservient to a woman and all that, and she tells him what to do. But I think slowly but surely it's starting to really get over with, with people and they will start becoming like booked as faces in the weeks that will follow this. But yeah, I love them showing up in uh, the in Eddie's like Chevy, and then the referee's just like, "What are you doing here? You're late." Like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll go get a dress." Like, "No, your match is next." Like, if you don't go into the ring now, you'll you'll forfeit your title. And all of it when they reveal that when they they pull the car into the arena, drive down the ramp, and he's got his red some wrestling gear, like some elbow pads, because he wrestles in his tuxedo pants, and he's got the European title in the boot, <laughs> the car doesn't even have it with him up up front or a chain holding it. He's got it in his boot. Uh, so, also, I think it's funny that this is the first time he drove a car to the arena when, uh, so when I remember Eddie back in the, uh, the Ruthless Aggression days, I always remember Eddie Guerrero coming out with, like, a different lowrider every week. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun little, you know, bit with him and China and, yeah, having to wrestle in his dress trousers and everything. Um, <laughs> Probably the most exciting bit about the match, to be honest. I mean, I was quite looking forward to this on paper, but the, the match as a whole, as I'm sure you'll get into uh, a bit in a second, it, it just it, it didn't really do a lot for me, I've got to be honest. Yeah, I think the funny thing about Eddie is that he takes his shirt and dress shirt and that off, but he's got his, his trousers still on, he keeps his cummerbund and his bow tie on <laughs> during, during the match. And credit to Eddie Guerrero still being able to put on, like, any kind of performance uh, that's decent and like those and tr- like dress trousers and everything, which also wasn't made for for wrestling. Uh, but yeah, I really thought that you know, this would be a lot better than it was. Like it's not, it wasn't the worst match of the show, but it was definitely something like lacking. Like it takes a while to get going, and as it starts getting going, you think, okay, got a few more minutes, they'll build up to a hot finish, and then that'll be it. But then no, like oh, just you think they're building up to something that match ends, so. Yeah, it felt like there was something more they could have gotten at this, especially with the two guys involved. I think it suffered also from a lack of really crowd investment because the crowd are, aren't fully sold on Eddie and China's faces because there are a few Eddie sucks chants, but they don't want to add to then the alternative is siding with S.A. Rios, who the crowd still barely know or really care about. So it's hard to know who the fans really want to invest in. Yeah, I mean, he's not the strongest opponent, S.A. Rios, and he... He didn't really hang around WWE for a long time, and I can I can sort of see why he's didn't in WWE. He's quite sure, and I think Eddie, according to my notes, he he went to a, like a sort of spinning net breaker, kind of rude awakening type maneuver, which was a bit of a strange move to sort of finish on. So yeah, quite a quite a, str- a weird match all round, really. And then yeah. Uh, it reminded me kind of like James Storm used to do that move, the eye of the storm where he had kind of like you in the edge position and he kind of spin you out and just drop you as you're kind of spinning, but he never really won matches with it. So, and also, I don't remember Eddie using this kind of move. I'm used to, when I think Eddie finished a match, I think Frog Splash or something like that. And if you'd figure these two guys probably put in this match because they are known for their kind of their high flying and CR said he expects that kind of match out of them when the match starts. So, you think these two match, this match with two high flyers in it. Why wouldn't it end with a high flying move? Yeah, I, I know he injured himself in his first match uh, in WWE with 
doing the frog splash. He sort of dislocated his shoulder or something. So whether he was trying to look for a different finisher at, at this juncture or something, I, I'm not too sure. But um, after the match, as was the bigotry in uh, 2000, one of the women had to get stripped to their underwear. Yeah. Because, like, Leah did try and get in and set with China because China was taking some cheap shots at SRE off behind the rest back. Uh, and then so she goes to kind of make a dive, but China kind of pushes her. And so Leah hits her head off the, the Spanish announce table. But it does give SRE a brief kind of reprieve where he gets some offense on Eddie. It's a, a minsult that didn't go, I think, as well as he wanted because he, he manages to catch the minsult, but then he smacks his own legs off the, uh, the end table. He nearly went full play all over the announce table at like JR and King's lap. So it didn't really work the best, but Ethereal thing that did have some like cool moments in this match with the minsault and things like that. But like I said, the finish was flat, and yeah, then you had the moment where Leah gets back at China and the ultimate wave of humiliation at this time by stripping her. But then Leah just kind of takes the dress bits over her shoulder, kind of immediately runs away. Like she didn't try and laugh at China or like make it seem like she was trying to humiliate her. She just decides, ah oh, fuck, I'm gonna take your dress with me, and just buggers off. And she's stealing it for herself. Yeah, it's uh, bizarre, but but there you go. That's uh, that's two thousand for your folks. Yeah, this is also this match also went eight minutes. So yeah, like again, it was a match that was really shortened. I don't know why it was given this little time because I think if maybe they had a few more minutes, they actually would have made this match a lot more memorable than it turned out to I be. Do, I don't know. I'm not gonna lie; it felt twice as long as that to PLS. <laughs> yeah, it didn't get off to the best of starts, maybe because Eddie was getting used to wrestling in those dress trousers or whatever. But I do like that China afterwards. You know, even though when she joined in, when she when China joined the company, she was kind of cause she was so big. Everybody made jokes like, "Oh, is she really a woman? Is she really a man or anything?" Uh, so they had a few years of those kind of jokes. But then they kind of like, firstly, they properly portrayed her as a real like woman in here because uh, she was like Eddie tries to cover up at first, and she's like, "Nah, fuck it, I don't care." If everybody's looking, yeah, but she she has had a sort of breast implants by now, and I think she's had a, a sort of jawbone reconstruction as well at this point. Yeah, and like I said, we talked about you know Jerry Lawler earlier on with the the puppies and everything, and like with Trish, whenever he sees the front of her, he goes, "I see the T. Let's give her a shot of the A." For <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck laughs> sake. <laughs> But then when Leah's still her dress off, he yells the words brown panties so so much he goes like Jesus, he's gonna need to get his pants off with a toffee hammer, that man. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, that's Eddie and China for you. But uh we go back today to the coach interviewing Triple H. Triple H says the same shit Triple H says every week here, he's that damn good and all that. And then they talk about Austin because uh Austin Luke, Jaron King, he asked him, where's Austin, why hasn't Austin arrived yet? And then Vince's quote, sources, have said that uh, it looks like Austin is having some uh, transportation issues and maybe we're in doubt that if Austin will even be here tonight. So you got a uh, further administration to the McMahon's have something to do with the fact that Austin isn't here yet. And then we have Chris Benoit cutting a promo before his upcoming match for the Aircon El Tito. And he thought about how Jericho basically called him Mr. Roboto in the weeks leading up to this. And he says, no, Jericho likes to say I'm a robot. The difference between me and a robot is I have emotions. And this sounds like a really, this, sounds like, this phrase here sounds like what, a teenager who doesn't know how to do sexual innuendos 
would say thinking it sounds attractive. They like, and I'm gonna unleash my emotions all over Chris Jericho. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one, and I've, I'm, for obvious reasons, I always find uh, Chris Benoit matches tough tough watches these days. It's uh, probably the first time I've rewatched one of his matches for a, a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always have to try on these shows kind of like separate, you know, the wrestler from mm. the man and everything. And the wrestler was solid. The man trying to cut a promo was abysmal, especially when you have Jericho coming out and basically schooling him on the mic and his in-ring promo. Yeah, he was he was never the best on the microphone, but uh, yeah, in the ring, I mean, he was brilliant, and him and Jericho had great chemistry. I mean, they they you could always uh, expect a terrific match when uh, when these pair got in the ring together. Yeah, and and we do get one with Chris Jericho taking on uh, Chris Benoit, uh, and this next also Jericho talks about him as being like an emotionless robot. Goes, but we're in Washington D.C. This place is full of emotionless, emotionless robots. They're called politicians. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> satire. <laughs> but you know, Jericho has said, also for obvious reasons, he's never he, has, he doesn't get to talk about his matches with Chris all that much, uh, even though he feel like he had some of the best matches, his favorite matches, career. Some of them involved Chris. And you know, after that disappointment with the European title, I think we needed a match like this because I think this is a certain candidate for match of the night. This. These are two of the best workers in the company at this point, and it shows why the Intercontinental title can was classed still now as the uh, the workhorse title. Yeah, definitely. And after a bit of a sort of rough sort of start to the WWE career, Chris Jericho is sort of really starting to find his feet uh, at this point now in his uh, WWE tenure. And yeah. uh, again, there's no better opponent for him really than Chris Benoit. Yeah, totally. I think they'd already faced off in WCW and in, in Japan. I think uh, JR make, does make some reference to their matches before they actually know each other very well. They kind of have a couple to the outside. They start constantly forearming each other very hard and hitting each other with very hard shots. And JR makes a reference to slapping meat. A young biggie gets excited. <laughs> uh, they're working very like stiff with each other as well, especially Benoit. Benoit goes for a dive to the outside. Chris moves and looks like Benoit pretty much hits Maxi's head off the, the floor, which obviously had to like tribute to all those, those head injuries and the state of Benoit's brain when he when he passed away. Uh, he goes, Jericho sets up the steps to various what Benoit into it, but he counters. Jericho jumps over the steps. Maxi turns around, Benoit drops steps into Jericho's knee, which I thought was a pretty cool looking spot. Uh, they go back into the ring. There's a cross face locked in by. Chris Benoit, but Jericho finally manages to get to the ropes, but as Benoit rolls him back into the ring to kind of reset it, he starts elbowing his way out of it immediately, manages to walk walk, walk in the wall to Jericho. Uh, really, like, back and forth, he's, like, constantly switching who's got the upper hand and everything. Jericho goes for a, does get a line salt at one point, but only gets a two. He uh, dies for a forearm, but uh, Benoit moves and accidentally hits referee Tim White. So Benoit takes this opportunity to immediately grab the IC title. Uh, Jericho with the belt, but doesn't like get rid of the image. He just leaves in the middle of the ring. Wakes up Tim White. Tim White counts two, but Jericho kicks out. And then Benoit goes for like I think a down head, but and you don't see it at first. But it just looks like Jericho maybe moved and he had his head off the 
ahead of the title bit and a different angle and a replay showing that Jericho actually lifted the belt but didn't realise the referee was up. Uh, so Tim White sees Jericho using the belt and calls for a DQ. 15 minutes this match went. I was kind of disappointed in the DQ but it's kind of the beginning of their kind of story but in terms of what work for you, I think this is one of the, the best matches we've seen on this show. Yeah, 100%. It's a really good match. And I don't know if you're in the same boat as me. Um, uh, I had a hard time seeing why why there was a DQ initially until the replays. Mm. Uh, and then you can sort of see him, yeah, holding the belt out as uh, Benoit does the, goes for his diving headbutt. But, yeah, first glance, I was... I was I was just confused with the rewatch. I couldn't remember a lot about this match as I was when I watched it the first time. I was thinking, well, "What's the DQ for?" I don't, I don't quite see what's happened here. So it wasn't the best sort of uh, camera work and editing on the finish to really see clearly what what was happening. But the replay, yeah. but replay sort of cleared it up in fairness. Yeah, because it's. It's from an angle where you can't kind of see Jericho's hands. It's kind of, you know, Jer- you see the back of head, Jericho's head, you, and you see the belt, but you don't see the hands kind of coming up. Uh, and so, so that's what the commentators see. And like JR is basically kind of like ragging on Tim White for the call. And then he apologizes when he sees the, the replay from the other angle of Jericho holding the belt up. And then Jericho's maybe the face here, but Benoit immediately, his bloody nose and everything, leaves with the belt. And Jericho just puts Tim White into the walls of Jericho. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love that uh, regardless of the finish and also maybe if you want to see more from these two uh, then we get also the video package for the main event and then that cuts to a, a rock interview where it doesn't matter where, where uh, Stone Cold doesn't matter what how many McMahon's are out there the rock guarantees he's going to make history and become the WF champion and that's what he's going to do uh, the video package I often remember I've seen this a bunch of times even before I watched this match but uh, it's weird watching that now with the context of what I've been watching the last few weeks because it makes it seem like everything was stacked against the rock. Like first the uh, the announcement of you know, oh, Vince is going to be in the corner and then Shane's going to be in the referee position and then Linda comes out and says, well, now the Austin's going to be in Rock's corner. But actually watching it was announced in the opposite way where I believe it was announced Vince in the corner, then the announcement of Austin and then the goal from SmackDown I think featured Shane being announced as the referee, but uh, Rock had to earn this opportunity by beating Bill Buchanan and Bossman in a handicap cage match. It wasn't a good match, I remember watching it, but it, it wasn't very good. But he managed to earn his way in, and then he had the whole angle with Austin uh, blowing up the DX Express on the go home SmackDown and promising that he'd be there, uh, saying he's going to be on his own side, the side he's always been on, and despite Vince trying to you know, sow the seeds of dissent between The Rock and Austin. Uh, something they don't show you because it's not as prevalent to the thing with Rock, but you know the man, especially Triple H, have really made themselves out to be as dastardly as possible in the weeks preceding this because uh, there's that famous moment where uh, Jericho won unofficially won the title after a fast game from Merrill Hebner and then gave the belt back the same night because uh, there'd been a weird angle with the Rock where the Rock had that match. I think it was with Shane or something like that, or basically it wasn't with Triple H, but. Triple H got involved, Rock for some reason pinned Triple H and then celebrated with the belt even though he wasn't the champion. And then they had this whole controversy on the Fallen Man saying, is the Rock really the new WF champion? Like, no, of course he's not. Anyone with a brain could see that. And we didn't need a 20-minute segment from Vince to confirm that he wasn't the champion. 
But I think it was down to set up the issues they had with Earl Hebner to officiate because he was the one that counted. And then it reached a boiling point where he did the thing with uh, with Jericho, but he said he was tired of being pushed around by Triple H. So he said, I'll reverse the decision, give you back the belt if you promise as long as I'm an official and the WF, you or anybody else won't lay your hands on me. They made the promise. Triple H gets his belt back and goes, oh, by the way, Earl, you're fired. And then beat up Earl Hebner. Yeah, it was... Um... It was it was quite you know quite good um, stuff on Raw and that. I always thought it perhaps diluted the Rock's eventual victory a tiny bit, having uh, even though it wasn't an official title change, having you know, Chris Jericho sort of beat him in the you know run up to the backlash. But uh, but perhaps overall it didn't because he you know it was still. It was still good. I like the way they sort of stacked the um, the odds against the Rock as much as possible to to make his eventual win seem uh, as big as possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's one of the mo- the buzz uh, the buzz being blown up. That's one of those all time moments uh, still talked about uh, today and uh, fondly looked upon. I mean, maybe that's what they need to do to get their ratings back up. Blow up some buzzes. <laughs> that's the issue with WWE nowadays. Not enough property being destroyed. Exactly. And yeah, and the Willie Won't He Show Up um, with um, Austin was a, another good hook as well mm-hmm. during uh, the match and the, the build-up. And uh, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. It it just sets it just sets the match and the tone perfectly, really. To be fair, yeah, because like with everything I've been seeing, also they've done their best to also make Triple H and this new McMahon Helms regime the ultimate like villains that you root for the Rock and like so anyone who really goes up against them, whether it's the Rock, Jericho, or even Austin uh, at this point. And so I say everybody's waiting for the Rock to you know eventually beat him. And Vince saying Triple H and Stephanie all come out, and Vince has the program. He says, you know. It says here in the fine print, cards are to change, so I'm sorry if you wanted to see Austin, he's not going to be here, the crowd boo. And then they pop for the rock coming out. And like, usually, also, this guy of shenanigans like stacking against the rock, you see it a lot on like free TV, but there's something about it when they did it here on pay per view that made it seem like more bearable because you knew something more was going to happen and maybe this is going to be the night where Rock finally stuck it back at the, uh, the heels and you know, took the title. Yeah, so you got Shane, like, at first seemed like he's not biased, where he's, like, not fast counting, but he is getting in there when the Rock's trying to lay, and lay the smack down, as you would say, on Triple H, and, uh, like, forcing him out of the corner. A bit too much more hands-on than a referee should be, and then that allows Triple H to get an advantage, and how lenient he's kind of being when Triple H is, like, on the outside, not counting him out or anything like that, and, like, kind of turning a blind eye, allowing Vince to throw Rock into the ring post. But uh, you talked about how uh, having like vivid memories of this uh, this main event. Yeah, yeah, definitely. More so like the last sort of um, sort of you know few minutes to the to the finish. But yeah, I can remember Shane refereeing, and yeah, he sort of allowed Triple H to to distract him. Um, so Vince can yeah hit, hit the rock and throw him into the ring post and and whatnot and you get to see the sort of more of his dodgy refereeing uh, sort of towards the end as well when he he refuses to to count when Rock nails 
Triple H for a DDT, I think it is. Yeah. Because uh, Triple H is very dominant for most of this, like getting like a, a long headlock on the rock and uh, sticking his feet on the ropes for average leverage. And obviously, Shane can see it, but he's not admonishing him, at, him for it. And the rock finally does make his comeback. It's that DDT, as you said, but Shane refuses to count. Rock, rock gets up on his face and uh, there's a point where they're wrestling the outside. Shane's even helping Triple H take the monitors apart from the Spanish announce table to help put the rock to the table. But as soon as it looks like the rock's going to put Triple H to the table, Shane gets up on the table trying to stop him. So the rock grabs him as well and rock bonds both Shane and Triple H at the same time uh, to the table. I don't feel bad for Shane being under Triple H. The Triple H is massive at this point. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it's it's that's a great spot when he um, manhandles. I mean, rock buttoned them through the <laughs> <laughs> through the announce table and. Um, yeah, I was back in the day. I was loving that when he uh, when he scooped Shane up as well. And as you say, yeah, Triple H was uh, no no small man himself at that point. And also put out that uh, he would Shane was refusing to count for the Rock, but when Triple H covered the Rock, his counts got seemed to get faster and faster for a referee that was supposed to be calling things down the middle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also the Rock goes after Vince, but Triple H manages to get back in the like, low blow of the Rock, and without Shane there to cover, he brings the stitches also in referee shirts. Uh, the Rock still kicks out. Uh, it looks like they're battering with a chair, and like, oh, all hope is lost. The crowd are loudly chatting Austin, and eventually it builds and builds to that crescendo of the glass shattering, the pop, Austin coming out, smacking everybody with unprotected chair shots, but you forget you try and forget about that because it's Austin everything uh, delivers a stunner, Triple H walks off, just buggers off all the rap as you see Linda and uh, Earl Hebner coming out, Linda basically reinstates Earl Hebner as a referee Rock hits the people's elbow on uh, on Triple H so he walks up to Linda all like because like when Linda announced uh, Austin as the referee, as being the Rock's corner, Stephanie had to try and intimidate her and then Linda responded by just slapping Stephanie across the face because Stephanie had done it to her weeks before. And then I'll say it's a similar thing here where Stephanie tries to square up to her mother and her mother just shoves her on her ass. And Stephanie feels <laughs> like, oh god, I can possibly get back up. I'm so hurt. But then uh, Rock scores the people's elbow and uh, Earl Hedner slides in to count the three. And again, a massive pop is finally Triple H has been dethroned. He's held the title, I believe, since the first Raw of 2000. So, in, two th- and in this era, like going from then to like the final, the end, very end of April, this feels like a mammoth vein, especially for a heel as detestable as Triple H. So there's this big like feeling of relief from the fans that Triple H has finally been dethroned. Yeah, but uh, it, it doesn't last very long because spoiler alert, he gets it back quite quite soon again, and then manages to lose it without doing the job himself, such as Triple H's political manoeuvrings at this time. Um, but a question for you, Scott: um, Was this the right pay per view to do this title change, or should this have been? WrestleMania. What, what what do you think? I definitely think it should have happened at WrestleMania because The Rock has won matches at WrestleMania, but he's never actually won an actual world title match at WrestleMania. You actually look back through his history, there's a match where he's come in as a challenger or as the uh, the champion uh, in a world title match or maybe a WrestleMania, but he's never actually won 
overall team. It's like his only actual, his first actual main event of WrestleMania win. I think he's the only one when he beat Cena in the main event at WrestleMania 28. So it's weird to think at his peak he didn't get that kind of win, you know, for like a world title or just a main event at WrestleMania on that kind of stage. So I really think it should end at Mania, but, you know, looking back on it, and also the fact that they've basically made up for it here. Like, if they were going to make up for not giving us a WrestleMania, they did it in the best possible way. Because I don't think they could have gotten Austin back for Mania. Yeah, it, it was still a, 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 it was still great. To see. I mean, this is, I, I was a huge Rock fan back in T phase, and I mean, I, I still do love him. But you know, it, everything indicated that he was going to win the title. It wasn't very often back in those days. I, I would stay up late to watch a pay per view, but I did stay up to watch this one because I uh, didn't want to miss the rap winning the winning the title. But uh, yeah, I think apart from beating Cena and, and Austin at WrestleMania 19, he, he didn't really do too terrific at um, WrestleMania, did, did our old rock. And uh, yeah, Triple H, who at this point is romantically involved with Stephanie McMahon, managed to be the first heel to leave a WrestleMania with the the world championship in intact. Um so I wonder how how he managed to pull that off. Yeah. I mean if you believe like fans nowadays, you know, WrestleMania always ended with a heel winning, you know, Hulk Hogan ended most reigns as the winner. <laughs> um, have you not seen WrestleMania nine? <laughs> I did, yeah. I was uh... Even back as a, I would have been then about thirteen. Uh, oh, I was still pretty devastated by that. Yeah, I imagine you would be. Uh, but there you go. That is the end of. Well, that's not really quite the end. I forgot about this. Can I just remember the Rock celebration? Oh, Jr. is emphatically saying, "Oh, the game is over," uh, by saying that of Triple H lost, and then Austin comes out with his pickup truck pulling the. Uh, the blowing up remains of the DX Express and with them and you know celebrates with a beer alongside the rock. He has a bit of attention, you think he's gonna try and stun him or something like that, but no, just have a beer in the round, the rock leaves and celebrates and everything. And it feels like you have an acknowledgement from Austin saying about how you feel like an acknowledgement from Austin that you know the rock you know, kind of congratulating the rock almost for being a champion, kinda of being the guy who's kinda of held it down while he's been away. Yeah, definitely, and um, it, it's uh, it's a great moment to sort of have them sort of sort of toast a bit, toast the beers, and have a cold one together in the ring, and seeing the Rock finally celebrate with the time. I think this is his first reign as a baby face. Uh, yeah, the, so. yeah uh, I think he's a four-time champ here. These first three reigns would have been. Going back and forth with mankind, so yeah, this has been his first time with a baby face. Yeah, and yeah, he was uh, definitely. They they were definitely very lucky that uh, they they had the rock when uh, Austin had to take time out with, with his various injuries because you know he was more than over enough to help carry the carry the company forward, even though Triple H probably thought he should be the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably kind of was the man, but from a heel side, but you need mm. to have that great faith to counteract it, and they had that with The Rock. I think a lot of people do, though, I believe, like again, like 
I think it's in the top five highest raw ratings that you get the, the night after Backlash. And I think part of that is due to maybe some people thinking that Austin would be there as well, because I don't think a lot of people realise that Austin still wasn't fully ready to come back. He wouldn't come back full-time until September. So I'll say this is just a one-off appearance of where he officially comes back, but I think also this game lulls people into thinking that he will come back full-time, because uh, we talked about it when we talked about Survivor Series and the, in the weeks following this, so people were still chatting Austin, because uh, people were used to seeing people almost be attempted, murdered, and come back the next week without a scratch, but so people weren't ready for when it was actually like, no, this is not an angle here, proper angle here. Like he's legit fucked here. He's not coming back for a while. Yeah, and um, I think it probably has something to do with the huge buy rate that Austin was expected to show up at some point where he'd been off TV for a good four or five months at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I'll say it's nice that we had us buy in this because we're still so hot for. The Rocks when it didn't, he wasn't completely overshadowed by Austin's return because I think you were in, maybe in danger of, of doing that. But yeah, that was a that was a little bit of a worry to be fair. <laughs> but as you say, I think they they just about got the balance right there. Yeah, and so that is Backlash 2000. So, uh, girl, I don't know if you're aware, there's a new rating system over here uh, on the Rogue Rich Fight Reviews now. Uh, two thumbs up, a single thumbs up, a thumb in the middle one thumb down or two thumbs down. So out of those, where would you be for Backlash 2000? And as usual, uh, if you had to recommend one thing on this show uh, for somebody to watch, if you could only recommend one match or moment, uh, what would it be? Uh, I'd have to say the, the main event. Um, perhaps the IC match is slightly better, but I can't recommend anything with Chris Benoit in good conscience, I'm afraid. And this really is a fun match. And yeah, it's Rock's sort of ascent um, to being the main guy as a, as a baby face, really, with the finally defeating Triple H and, and winning the WWE Championship. So that would definitely be uh, my recommendation. And even though there's no Godfather, I'd still give this pay-per-view two thumbs up. I mean, it's miles better than WrestleMania 2000, which is, apart from a couple of matches, an absolutely shit show in, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some matches in the show deliver more than others, but you know you're going to have that with most pay-per-views. You need some kind of stuff on the undercard to kind of make the other the good stuff look better by comparison. Uh, but at least everything, pretty much everything on this card had a story that's been building for at least the last couple of weeks. So that is one of the benefits of this year that everything has at least some sort of story or reason for happening behind it. Yeah, I could say like the right the right event is a great show to recommend. By the way, try and recommend something different. No, from you, so we're not just agreeing to- too much. Uh, I think I'd hesitantly maybe I'd say I'd recommend the IC title match if you can separate Chris Benoit the man from the wrestler, or if you're just a big fan of Chris Jericho that you don't care who he's wrestling, you just want to see a good Chris Jericho match. But I think as my official recommendation, I may actually recommend the light heavyweight title match, as you know I think it's kind of one of the pro- properly standout matches from a title that didn't get enough recognition. And there was two guys who didn't get, they have like featured singles matches in the WWF, even though one of them was like part of a proper popular group. So I'd maybe recommend the light heavyweight title match. Uh, but yeah, it's almost, it's almost worth checking out just to, just to 
first Sky Too Hot is pop alone because mm-hmm. I must admit, I mean, I lived through that era as a 20-year-old and I, I, I was still surprised by how over he was back then. That was a fair fair reaction for him. Yeah, you always think if the guy debuted that gimmick now, they'd probably be booed out the building <laughs> by the yeah. Like, look how bad, how much shit Jose, no way Jose got when he got called up to the main roster. Yeah, I mean, he might have worked to change his gimmick, but that was that was never going to get over on the main roster. Yeah, probably not. And I'd also give this a double thumbs up. It's one of the best debuts of uh, this era. Don't know, like some of the previews I know about more than others in terms of like what I remember of it, watching them back. So I'm gonna wait till like, we get further into 2004 to declare this the best pay per view of the year. But, uh, yeah, because there there are some more good ones. I mean, I think SummerSlam was really good. Uh, the next pay per view, I think it's, I think that's Judgment Day. That was really good. Uh, a nice surprise at the end of the main event. So, um, you know, if you want me to cover, help you guys cover any more um, in this year, uh, you know, I'm I'm dying for a few more because it really was uh, some cracking pay per views and matches. Yeah, because like, we've got quite a few coming up because uh, I believe like Fully Loaded is one a lot of people look back fun. I know Sam's looking forward to eventually getting to that. Uh, for me personally, even though not a lot of people talk about it, King of the Ring 2000 holds a special place in my heart because it's one of the first proper VHSs I had uh, of this year and I watched it so many times. I could tell you everything that happens in that show. I could do a review of this podcast, the, that show right now without even having to watch <laughs> it. Back. I know it that well. <laughs> I can't remember a huge amount of King of the Ring 2000. I think I mean, kind of what the main event was, and that was I mean, what I'm talking about. Triple H losing the title without having to do the job himself, but I couldn't I couldn't tell you who won the King of the Ring tournament. I think I think although one downside I guess is it does have what was the worst match of that year, and for good reason. But you know if you try and put that out of your mind, it's a good show to watch. That, that isn't the Briscoe Patterson match, is it? It is indeed, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably the worst matches of all time, in all honesty. And, uh, but didn't know that Pat Barrison also got voted by the results ever in 1978, I think, for a match with Slaughter, best match of the year. So Pat Barrison was one of the first people to, er, to have won both the worst singles ever, best worked match and worst worked match. So what um, an honour for Pat Barrison. I mean, to be fair, he was retired and sort of, well past it at this point <laughs> although bizarrely I don't think he's uh, uh, back in two thousand. I don't think he's massively older than uh, Bill Goldberg I mean I think he's in his I think he's only in his 50s might be late 50s but he, he is only in his 50s I think at this point yeah I think uh, I think Briscoe is older than he is mm. so yeah I don't know how what exactly old he was at that point but you know, that's, that's still all to come but uh, in the meantime, if people looking for something else, Rogue Pains wants to watch from Team Godfather, especially Carl. What are you up to? Let the people know. Well, uh, I've got another podcast with a great co-host. Uh, his name's Scott, coincidentally. Where? Uh, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> ah, exactly. Um, yeah, where we're uh, reviewing uh, episodes of the Bad Bat. Um, I think the latest one we did was episodes two to uh, was it two to five? Mm-hmm. 
and we'll be doing three more episodes on uh, the next episode we record, which uh, hopefully we'll schedule in the near future. Uh, there's also Rogue Chronicles, the latest I do with Liam. Uh, the latest one is on um, Matrix protagonist uh, antagonist, sorry, uh, Agent Smith. So um, make sure to check that out. I think that's all I've got going on at the moment, podcast-wise. I've not done any new articles recently, but hopefully myself and Anthony will post something up in the in the near future for people to. Have a quick peruse that, and uh, yeah, I think that, unless I'm forgetting something, which knowing me, it could very well be. Uh, I think that's all I've got going on at the moment. Yeah, good. Uh, I'm working on some very exciting things right now. Uh, recently, me and Sam uh, Preston uh, did the Return of the Grapple updates officially, Grapple Updates Grand Slam. Primarily talking about uh, EW uh, Grand Slam and everything that happened in there. Uh, we, me and Nathan, did some extreme rules drinking rules while we reviewed that show. I was woefully underprepared for that. Uh, <laughs> like, check back on the past episodes of the Rogue Retro Smackdown review in our back catalogue uh, with myself and Samuel Preston and previous hosts before that, and times where Carl was on before and some previews he didn't like as much as this show, which is why we had to have him back. Uh, I've got some things in the works with No Dogs Barred. Uh, the newest episode is up now. Me and Liam. It was recorded ages ago. I just got around to editing it now. Uh, and you'll hear Liam like you've never heard him before on this show. I can guarantee you that. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I think I think primarily it's a good thing. I managed to break through his hard, hard exterior to get the softness inside. I broke him down psychologically and rebuilt him. <laughs> He, t- he sadly didn't cry. I was hoping he would cry. Aww. One of these days, I'll make someone cry. <laughs> that's got that's got submission at Rogue Opinions to, to make someone cry. <laughs> but uh, I got some plans for Rogue's part. I'm going to be starting to put together some sort of back catalogue of a uh, backlog of episodes uh, through end October to early November with uh, people within Rogue Opinions. But also, I'm kind of shifting the format of the show. It's going to be a show where I can also interview people who are involved in kind of podcasting, things like that, but aren't actually part of Rogue Pains. That was always going to be my plan once I'd gone through everybody at Rogue Pains, but I'm kind of moving up a bit sooner uh, because I've got some people in mind that I want to interview that I know, and so we're going to try and arrange those in the month to come. Uh, mentioned the Light Heavyweight title uh, retrospective, me and Paul did as part of Scott and Paul's Ram podcast, which is part of the Rogue Opinions feed now and you can find us on Twitter at SBRambling and Rogue Opinions at Rogue underscore Opinions uh, Me and Paul's next episode will be a review of In Your House 9 International Incident as part of our ongoing series looking back at all the In Your Houses and honestly, uh, you check into the episode sometime soon for my full thoughts on it but I also think it's the best In Your House we've covered so far and you can find out the reasons why yeah, I don't think that was a bad one. To be to be fair, yeah, some of the early in your houses were uh, pretty rubbish, if, <laughs> from what I can remember. Yeah, especially in '85. I mean, there's been some slight upkeep in '86, but so far the best quality-wise has been this one. And I'll talk more why uh, on me and Paul's next show. Some of the early ones we didn't get. We didn't get in the UK the first 
the first five or six or so, if I if I remember correctly. Um, I forgot when I forgot when we started getting them in the UK, but I don't I don't think uh, yeah I don't think we got the first few. I think we were lucky. <laughs> and so uh, I don't know when Sam will be back if he'll be back uh, for the next episode of Smackdown I don't want to rush him back if he's not feeling up to it but he's already said he's not doing Insurrection because uh, he's pulled some imaginary clause where he doesn't do the UKB reviews but that's fine because I've, uh, I've already made arrangements to have somebody who will do whatever I tell them uh, to do Insurrection with me and we'll arrange that very soon uh, so stay tuned to find out whether or not Sam will be on the next episode of Smackdown or not or if he'll be taking an extended vacation I can't blame him for not wanting to do the UK shows uh, apart from the first few they did get gradually crapper and crapper to to be honest I mean who wouldn't want to watch a main event of The Rock defending his title against Shane McMahon and Triple H in a triple threat match I mean who's really missing out here <laughs> you indeed <laughs> so that's all I come here uh, at Rugged Benji you can follow me as well at Scott McLeod 1986 I might have some articles uh, in the works if I can pull my finger out in between you know podcasting and my work and try and find some time I've been working on one or two articles for a while just haven't got around to you know the finishing touches but uh, I've been, I keep trying mentioning these articles on podcast because if it's recorded then it means I have to eventually do it that's the rule in my head. <laughs> clearly, you said, on, you said it on record, so it has to happen. Clearly, writing articles isn't easy. It is not. Just like podcasting. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, Carl, for joining me. No problem at all. I look forward to joining you on a, a couple more with any luck. Uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>